right in front of you. You cannot return the bottle. Let's see. Rearrange the furniture a little bit. Here we go. You are my last church to see before something has just been arranged for me to leave the country next Friday to, for the first time, for my first time ever, um, nation of Belize. Not terribly far away, and Ruth will stay behind at my brother's place um, in Fort Worth with his family, so she'll be missing me from Friday to Friday. So this coming Friday to the following Friday. We very much appreciate your prayers for all of that. It's a combination of, yes, the Lord has work for me to do, but if you ask me specifics, I'm not 100% sure what awaits me. So this is something in the category of what you call a survey trip when you're somewhere the first time. However, the Lord knows that I am a lousy tourist. Can I move this? I notice when I look over here, I can't see you guys. There, how's that? Ta-da! Not blocked. There we go. That, how about one more thing? There we go. We'll get this figured out. All right. I'm a lousy tourist. You know, I don't go the places I go to see the sights. Uh, I've read the end of the book. If you've read the end of the book, do you know what's going to happen to all the sights? Okay. So there's not a great attraction to my heart. Like my wife's from China, and we've served together in China a number of times. People ask me sometimes, have you seen the Great Wall? No. What? What? Why not? Well, so far where the Lord has sent me, it hasn't been right up against the Great Wall. Now, if I get sent to a church or somebody I'm supposed to serve in the area, okay, I'll get up my camera and take a picture. You know, I'll do the touristy thing for a moment. That's about as long as I'll be a tourist, a moment. I don't care about being a tourist. I care about being a servant. And so servants, I think, don't care a whole lot about the sites. I've never yet been invited to go anywhere. In, well, actually, I've had invitations, but it's never gotten details-wise worked out to go to Africa. But I have made up my mind years ago that if and when the Lord ever gives me a contact, and the Lord's given me an open door through that contact to go serve in Egypt, I am not going to tell my, my brother in Egypt, now listen, you've got to give me one free day to go see the pyramids and the Sphinx. Now, maybe you can't miss them. I don't really know how obvious they are in the area once you land and everything. But the point is, I've read the end of the book. You know where the Sphinx and the pyramids, you know where they're going? They're going in the eternal trash basket, okay? So, you know, Big Bend in London, it's going to the trash basket. The Eiffel Tower one day will be in the eternal trash basket, okay? All the famous stuff of the world that men have made with their bright ideas it's going to be passe. It's finished. It won't be here anymore. I'm going to be a wonderful tourist when I get to what's called the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? Because that one, the Lord says, in that one, everything is righteous. Did you get that? Okay? I don't know if in the new place they got billboards, but I won't have to worry about covering my eyes based on what you go and pass on the billboards about, you know, half-naked ladies advertising everything under the sun. They're not going to do that in the next place. Hello? Okay? I'm not going to have that problem over there. I have that problem this side, and I'm not going to have it over there. Okay? Over there, everything's so glorious and so fantastic, the Lord said, Your eye hasn't seen. Your ear has not heard. It has not entered the heart of man the things he has prepared for those who love him. So it's like I stop and compare that verse 
with what I happen to know, and you know, about the imagination that God has given mankind. It's a fantastic feature. Do you realize every invention we enjoy was first somebody's bright idea? They just used imagination. You know, like, hey, let's make something that can fly and carry people. Hey, let's make something you can wear on your belt and pull out and be a telephone, you know, and talk to anybody in the world. And let's, you know, these were just ideas. These were somebody's imagination. And now they're reality, okay? So, you know, if you like Six Flags over Texas or Disney World or Disneyland or whatever, and you like the roller coasters of the world, somebody had to dream that stuff up first. Somebody had a fantastic imagination to come up with. And the Lord is telling you and me, in spite of that fantastic thing I gave you called imagination, what I have waiting for you is so fantastic, even the imagination I gave you cannot comprehend you're just going to have to wait. And you get, when you get here, it's going to blow your mind. Okay? So I'm going to be a great tourist on the other side. As far as tourist mentality, go and see and enjoy everything he's decided to set up for us. It's going to be fantastic. You know, just constant wow, wow, wow. You know, you're just never going to say enough wows. All right? Never going to get bored. You know, you're never going to go looking for the suggestion box. <clears throat> okay. Hey, Lord, listen, you need to spice this place up a little bit. Now, now, believe me, whatever he's got waiting, it, it's plenty spicy. Okay. It's, it's just, it's going to be fantastic. So like I say, I'm not a good, not a good tourist and I'm not going to Belize to whatever, see the sights. I hear, I just mentioned this to somebody in a text this morning or last night. And he said, oh, he's been there on a cruise. Apparently cruise ships go by there, you know, regularly and all like that. And, and uh, I've never never really done a cruise ship, you know, like, what do you call it, love boat or something. I haven't done that. <laughs> haven't done that. One time on one occasion, I got back from Jakarta to Maidan by way of a ship. It took it two, two and a half days, two nights, something like that. You know, and I mean, it's like you had your room for your family, two bunk beds and two bunk beds. It was like an oversized closet. And then you went down to where they had meals. That's it. I've just described everything about the boat, you know. So it was, there was no game room. There was no whatever. I was just like, hmm. And so people go on cruises. You know, it must be they spend more than I spent to do that. So anyway, so uh, like I say, I, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord will give me some new stories to tell you by way of either newsletters or in person later uh, from going off to Belize soon. Uh, Ruth is going to be going off with me at the end of May for 10 days, her first time ever to El Salvador. And I have been there <clears throat> several times. One of the things I'm especially looking for, I'd like you to have kind of this heads up about and think about how to pray for me about how to bless and help her find and know about the open doors that the Lord is making for her. You see, the mouth speaks from whatever fills your heart. I mean, whatever fills your heart. So you spend three hours in front of a television watching the Dallas Cowboys come from behind victory. Half an hour after the game is over, I know what you're going to talk about. Okay, because you know, your team won. Woohoo! You're jumping up and down. You know, that's you talk about whatever fills your heart. Okay, well, the Lord has just been drawing Ruth to Himself so much. I really can't even calculate how many hours a day at times going on weeks and months in a row, spending time with the Lord, spending time in His Word, you know, and uh, <clears throat> and so. I took her with me to Borneo last January, and there's a church there I knew about, Chinese church. You see, there's Chinese people scattered in more and more places all over the world. And that includes Latin America, South America, and stuff like that. So I'm, while I'm in Belize, it's a possibility that on this survey part, if I meet a Chinese congregation down there, I'm going to tell them about her. See, 
and I brought her with me to Borneo, and she got to serve in one church twice while I was at a different place. So I'm using Malay elsewhere. She's using Mandarin over another place, okay? And she brought this message, and it went on for an hour, I'm told, you know, and she barely reached her seat, almost got sat down in the chair, and all 30 people attending the service broke into applause. Now, I've heard of clapping for the Lord, but clapping for messages, that's, that's kind of, you know, unusual. You know, they were like, ah, oh, you know, this is really, and I met up with her and others after lunch, you know, and they're telling me this feedback about what it was like to hear her bring message from the Word of God. You know, it was just tremendous. Then she was there Wednesday night, and, and she brought another message. And I learned from those people in that congregation that they said after the second time they heard her, they said, I'm, I'm sorry, we can no longer call your wife Sister Ruth. We now must call her Pastor Ruth. So she, she got a promotion, you know. <laughs> it's like, let me get this straight. She's never been officially to Bible school, never to seminary, never been ordained, and yet. You know, now, how, how many of you met people who've done all those other things, and when they get up, you're kind of going... <sighs> been there done that you know so i don't care about people's credentials really anymore i i care in the first two minutes of figuring out if you can see my two fingers if the person in front has a living relationship with the lord so that one finger is the lord the other finger is the one speaking if they're like this i can figure that out pretty quick i really can and then I'm like really paying attention. I really want to hear from... But when people are like this and all they've got is a bright tie and, uh, and credentials and, and, you know, someone gives them a long introduction, the longer the introduction... Have you ever noticed the longer the introduction, the more boring the person can be at times? Yeah, have you ever heard that? I, I, I had a class at TCU way back when they said uh, when it comes to introductions, the more important a person is, the shorter the introduction. Ladies and gentlemen... The President of the United States. That's it. They never tell you what school he went to. They don't tell you what grades he made. They don't have to. If you're the President, that's all you got to say, right? You know, so real short introduction. So anyway, I've had my share of exposure to, you know, the other kind of folks. And so it really, what happened to her, it's like, I'm still looking for now, Lord, how can I help Ruth find those other additional open doors. I'm giving people heads up in El Salvador. Hey, my wife's coming this time. You've got loads of Chinese down there too. Look, start telling the leadership, there's a lady going to be available across 10 days. So if you'd like to give her a chance, you might find the Lord's ready to bless you through her. Okay? So this is something you can pray for me about, what I'm finding out along the way and how to help her have good places to plug in. Okay? Might give you enough incentive you wish you could learn Mandarin so you could find out what is she saying. So, <laughs> but it's good. It's good. Uh, last chapter in the Gospel of John. It's a couple of stories, but they're really kind of, they have a definite connection here. This is the third appearance of Jesus after his crucifixion. Third time after the initial resurrection day for him to show up. Here's what happens. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, that's two of them, and two others. So we've got a total of seven mentioned here. Simon Peter said to them, uh, I'm going fishing. He's like saying, I don't know what else to do. It's like, now you see him, now you don't. We, we can't figure out what this means, but Jesus is alive, but he's not like around us all the time. 
So he's, now he's here, and then he's missing. And then he's here again, now he's missing. You know, they're like, okay, so what are we going to do? Well, I'm going to go fish. I used to be a fisherman. Let's go fishing again. And six of them said, great, good idea. We'll go with you. We will come with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. You feel like Peter is saying, hmm, kind of lost my touch. You know, I used to be good at this. And I haven't been doing this much for the last three-something years. And, and now I have a whole night of effort and nothing to show for it. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Not yet. Jesus therefore said to them, <clears throat> Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They hollered back, No! And he called back to them, Well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. Oh, well, okay, why not? We'll try. So he threw it over on the right side. And they probably thought at first they snagged it on a stump because they tried to pull and it wouldn't budge. And then they pulled harder and then they got more hands on the net and they pulled together and the thing finally started moving and then they found out why it was so hard to pull back. It was full of fish. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. That disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, that's John's way of referring to himself, looks up, looks at, takes another look at the guy on the beach and said to Peter, oh, it is the Lord. I hear this said with the tone of voice, kind of like children with their hand caught in the cooking jar, cookie jar. You know, when mom said not before supper and the kids trying to get away with it anyway. It's like Jesus never told them go fishing again. And here they are fishing like, oops, we're kind of caught doing something we really weren't told to go do, you know. And so that's the attitude I'm, I'm perceiving going on here, okay? But uh, what does Jesus do with these guys? It is the Lord, said John. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the little boat. They were not far from the land, but only about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. My, my question for Jesus later is, where did you get the fish? Of course, you know, he can walk on water, right? So he just probably walked out there and picked up a few, you know. <laughs> all right, so he's got them some fish and bread. He's fixing them breakfast. They worked all night. You know, if you ever work all night, even before you want to hit the bed, you might want breakfast. You're hungry. You worked hard. You know, they worked all night. Jesus said to them, do you hear the tone of voice? Hey, bring some of the fish which you've now caught. In other words, you don't hear them upbraiding them. You don't hear them scolding them. You don't hear... This is a very kind, gentle Jesus dealing with some disciples who may be kind of at the moment wasting their time and energy doing something he didn't send them to do. Do you think you and I ever are caught in the middle of doing something that is what the Bible calls dead works? It's not accomplishing. It's not doing something for the Lord, but we're, we're busy. We're using up our energy and anything else trying to, you know, keep busy. That's what they were doing. Simon Peter went up, drew the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, hey, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question, who are you knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread. He is the waiter. He is serving them. You get this? It's just, uh, talk about, I mean, I just keep getting impressed over and over with the humility of our Jesus. Okay? 
not high and mighty. I mean, he's got all the right to be high and mighty, but he's just coming across to his men so kind, so gentle. They're tired. They've been working hard. They've, they've had a night. A lot of fr- the longer the night went on, the fr- more frustrated they got because they weren't catching anything. And now, you know, they got this humongous haul of fish, and he's serving them breakfast. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, before I read verse 15, I've got to ask you, so you'll under, I'll, I'll explain why later. But jump down with your eyes and look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Did you catch that? So now when I go back to verse 15 and read the next story, which probably most of you know, this thing about three times Jesus asking, do you love me? And Peter saying, yes, Lord, I do. Got that? It's not happening while sitting around the campfire having breakfast. Got that? If you thought so, you'll, that's a mistake. And I'll be able to prove that a little bit in a moment. Just hold on. Bear with me. This is, this is important detail. You'll understand why in a minute. Okay. They got up. And they started walking away from the campfire and the breakfast place, okay? And that's when this conversation is happening between Jesus and Peter. With the other, what is that? Jesus plus seven, that's eight. So we got six others following, right? John and the others, and here's Jesus and Peter up front leading the way. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Hmm, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, hmm, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, walk wherever you wished, but... When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said to him, follow me. Lord, give us ears to hear. To hear you. Help us really say yes and amen every time you call out to us because you are fully trustworthy about whatever you send us to do, wherever you send us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Do you know anybody now or in the past? They either said it out loud or their manner said this little message you owe me hello haven't we all kind of run into that sooner or later yeah, that was the expression one hand washes the other you know 
like, or how about I'll scratch your back and then you scratch mine. Like, I've done some for you now, you know, like you owe me. Hello. You understand? Now that's the way of the world. Can you find me somewhere in the Bible where the Lord says to anybody, hey, you owe me. I mean, but don't we all owe him? We all, we owe the Lord everything. Amen. I mean, to have any hope, to have salvation at all, we owe the Lord big time. Okay. So if anybody was ever going to play the game and have the, 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 the highest right to play the game of you owe me, you're in my debt. Okay. It would be the Lord, right? But you know, don't you feel like when someone pulls that on you, you're feeling kind of pressured, especially if it's like whatever they're requesting, you have some misgivings about you or maybe you are you just flat out don't want to do it, but they're telling them, come on now, you know, you owe me. Hello, you know. So don't back out now. I mean, like a deal's a deal. Sometime, please go back and read again. It's a very short story, but a very glorious one in Isaiah six. And I think when you see it in Isaiah six, it means Isaiah, since it's not chapter one, it's chapter six. It kind of means chapters one through five are already telling you this man's already considered a servant of the Lord. I mean, does that seem reasonable? He's already had messages. He already has a calling from the Lord. He's been walking out being a faithful prophet of God. And then God decides to give his prophet this glorious experience. He gets a vision. And we call it Isaiah 6. And what does he see in the vision? He sees the Lord. And he sees a raft of angels, holy angels, all around the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He sees the train of his glory filling the temple. Right? Remember that story? And what was the reaction from the man of God? Right. Kind of like Peter in the boat the first time Jesus did a message and then there was the miracle, the boat filled with fish, you know, and, and he said, Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, when you get a genuine encounter with the Lord and you realize he is holy, he is powerful, he is, and it kind of makes you quickly realize about yourself, oh, I'm not. I'm not holy. I got my faults. I got my sins. I got my imperfections. Okay? And so it's kind of like, oh, dear Lord, please, you know, I shouldn't be this close to you. You, you. you need to leave me. That's what Peter said to Jesus. Please depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Here is Isaiah, the man of God that already has five chapters recorded of various messages and things the Lord wanted him to tell the people of God. And now he sees the Lord in, in a vision. He sees the glory of the Lord. And his reaction was, oh, woe is me, for I'm a man of what? Unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then what was the next thing he sees? It's like the Lord is not arguing with him. It's like saying, you're right. You do have unclean lips. Tell you what, I want to take care of that problem for you. So he sees an angel. By the way, this was just a vision. Do not imitate this at home. All right. Because I heard in the Reformation period, there was some people got so extreme about they were now getting back into Scripture. Like the Catholic stuff had kept them away from Scripture. So now they're getting into Scripture. And somebody found that story and they kind of took it a little too literally and they thought they needed to run out to the nearest fire and get a coal and touch it to their lips. And that's what they, and then they couldn't eat for a week. Okay, it was just a vision, all right, just a vision. So he sees the Lord send an angel with a burning, glowing coal from an altar before the Lord. And he brings the coal with tongs and he touches the lips of Isaiah. And the Lord says, there, I've taken care of your problem for you. You no longer have unclean lips. 
I've just forgiven you. I've just cleansed you. I've just blessed you. I'm going to fill your mind and heart with, with more of me and my messages, you know. Okay. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's Isaiah realized, man, I got a problem. I have unclean lips, but the Lord has just solved my problem for me. So now, don't you think Isaiah owes the Lord? You hear what I'm saying? I mean, if God wanted to play that game, the Lord is the perfect one to do it. We're all going to be in a position to feel like we owe the Lord. Okay? But he doesn't trot that out. The very next thing that Isaiah hears is what? He hears the Lord say, as if Isaiah is standing in the midst of a crowd of people, gee, who will go for us and whom shall I send? Like he's looking for a volunteer. Did you get that? Yeah. And, and Isaiah's going, wow, you've just blessed me. You just took away my sin. You have saved me. You have made me able to serve. Yeah, he's like, here am I. Send me. You know, it's like, see, the Lord doesn't play this game of you owe me. He could. Got it? And by the way, if, if you not only know somebody that's treated you that way, if you happen to look in the mirror and think somewhere along the line you've been doing that or you're presently doing that, you might want to reconsider your ways because the Lord God Almighty, including Jesus, the one in the best position to play the game of, I gotcha, now you owe me, he refuses. He doesn't want to do that. He would rather respect that he made you with a will and you would make a choice that you would like to do something for the Lord. You would like to make room for him. You would like to respond. You would like to obey. And if he wants to send you, okay, Lord, fine, you can send me. You know, when he made, made me realize at the end of my seminary, my last year, that he, he was, what do you call it? Like when you look at a microscope and at first maybe things look fuzzy. So you twist that dial when you twist the dial, it changes the position. And then you watch. While you're twisting the dial, you're watching, and it becomes much more clear. You ever seen that? Okay. And you do it with a telescope, too. Same thing. It's like fuzzy, and you get it the right position. Ah, now it's clear. That's what the Lord was doing. I already was called into the ministry several years earlier. But I just assume, like most people would, well, that means one day I'll be a pastor in a church in America. And then he's twisting the dial for me in my last year of seminary, and he says, Douglas, I want you to go to Indonesia. And I was like... Say what? Where do I mean, If you're raised either Southern Baptist or Assembly of God, you're exposed to missions on a regular basis. But I was raised in liberal mainline denomination. I mean, come on. I was like, okay, Lord. You know what I finally had to realize? I had to realize pretty quick. After you made clear to me he was calling me to become a missionary, I thought, you know, the first thing he wants is an answer. First thing he wants to know is, am I willing to just say, okay, if you're sure, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't feel very sure about it, but you know, you really want me to be a missionary? Okay. You know, I guess that's to start with an answer, but he didn't like, you know, put pressure on me. He didn't say, now Douglas, you know, I saved you. I filled you with my spirit. I've been watching over you and now you owe me, you owe me, you know, so now you've got to do this. You know, he's just putting it out there. You know, he's like, I want you to go. He respects, I have a will. He made us each one with a will. So he wants to see once he calls to you, once he gives you something to do or a place to go or both or a message to give, you know, that you are first just willing to say, okay, Lord, I'll go along with that. All right. He's not forcing you. Our Lord is not interested in being heavy handed. And believe me, he's got the biggest and heaviest hand around. So if he wanted to, he's the, he would be the most expert. 
and he refuses. He doesn't want to treat us that way. So my question then is, how are we treating each other? I, I hope with a similar kind of kindness, a, a kind of patience, a kind of gentleness, where we're not trying to force anybody, especially out of a sense of, look, I've been good to you, so now you owe me. Hello. You hear what I'm saying? This is our Jesus. Our Jesus is meeting with his disciples who are still puzzled. They don't quite know what this means. Jesus is alive from the dead, which, of course, he predicted many times. And you'd think if they'd really believed. You see, we have the same problem with disciples. We sometimes, we keep trying to interpret things that need no interpretation. Hello? Yeah, I mean, if he says, you know, this will happen to me and I'll be arrested and slapped around and crucified, comma, and on the third day I'll rise from the dead. And in one case, I think it's in Mark chapter 9, the disciples start talking to him and say, I wonder what he means by rising from the dead. He meant exactly what he said. Okay. So, yes, there's parts of our Bible that seem kind of, quote, obtuse. And you're left puzzled and you're scratching your head about certain visions and symbols. And let's see, now, what does that mean and how will that be fulfilled? Believe one day all that's going to be perfectly clear. Okay, one day that will be perfectly clear. But there's a bunch of stuff in our Bible that does not need interpretation. It means what it says. Okay? So here's Jesus saying, I will, if they had believed him, if they had taken him literally at his word, they should have been waiting before the stone was rolled away. In my book. Right? Come on, wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning. Well, you got to get there before the sun comes up because on the third day, he, he's up. So we should be there to say, hey, Jesus, how you doing? You know, they should have been there to greet him. They weren't there. Because they kept trying to interpret. What does that mean? On the third day, rise from the dead. Duh. You know, simple people like me, we need parts of the Bible that need no interpretation because I'm not a very deep person. I need stuff to just mean what it says. Okay? So like I was asking Mike for help before service about something on, the, on my cell phone, my computer. You know, I'm not a geeky guy. I don't understand all that stuff. And he understands a lot better than me. You know, and so when they try to tell you, hey, pay us a fee and get this contract and we'll take care of your laptop and keep it protected for the next five years, no more fees. And then now they call me up when I'm back in the country and they want me to pay them more money. I'm like, wait a minute, didn't you tell me last summer if I pay the fee, I don't pay any more because you're supposed to take care of it? Apparently they didn't mean what they said. Hello? Okay? But when the Lord speaks, he means what he says. All right. So we got this story where he is treating them so kindly, he's not upbraiding them, he's not laying it to them. And when he starts this thing with Peter, he's, he says to him, he talks to him about, first he said lambs, and then he said sheep. He also put the word my in front of it, my lambs, my sheep. Now, Jackie is your shepherd. If you're, this is your church, he is your shepherd. But Peter, when he wrote, wrote his letter later, we call 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. Hello. Which means what? Jackie is an under-shepherd. Under who? Under the chief shepherd who is Jesus. Every pastor on earth has a boss. His boss is Jesus. Okay. And so what we've got to remind ourselves, and I have to do this frequently in Indonesia context, is remind those pastors, because they like to say, Ini la gereja ku, emphasis on ku, translation, this is my church. I go, really? When did you die for this church? Oh, you never died for this church? Well, let me see. Who was it that died? I remember his name is Jesus. On this rock I'll build 
my church. Whose church is it? This church, Christ Redeemer Fellowship, is not Jackie's church. It's not a certain committee's church. It's not the single biggest giver in the church's church. It's a church that belongs to Jesus. We would do well to remind ourselves when he's talking to Peter three times about, if you love me, and then do what? Something with what? My sheep, my lambs. The sheep and the lambs belong to Jesus. And when you keep that in mind, it'll help you know how to treat one another better. Because they're not your sheep and they're not your lambs. And when you're trying to take care of somebody else's critters, you've got to be extra careful. Right? You don't want to hurt somebody else's pet. You don't want to hurt somebody else's animals. I mean, they've they given you responsibility to take care of their animal for a while. You better do a good job because they're not, it's not your animal. It's someone else's. When he said the first one, you know, tend my lambs. Nineteen eighty-three, before I was a missionary, part of my training and preparation was to do full-time stateside ministry for a while. I ended up at First Christian Church, Paducah, Texas. You you always know after my fourteen months there. You always know uh, if you mention that to somebody that one time you lived and worked in Paducah. You know who the people are around you who are liars. If they tell you, oh, yeah, I went through there one time. Nobody goes through Paducah to anywhere. Okay? You have to be going to Paducah to end up in Paducah. And while I was there for 14 months, one family in the church were raising sheep. That's the closest I've come to anybody with firsthand experience with sheep. And very soon after I arrived, they had a very unusual occasion arise. They had a pregnant sheep. Now, apparently sheep, when they get pregnant, usually birth one. Sometimes they'll birth twins. Ever so rarely, they'll birth triplets. And this sheep brought out one, a moment later brought out another, and a moment later brought out a third. And you can imagine how small they were. Because you know, one sheep by himself, that can be pretty good size. But three inside there, they each one had to be rather small and this family, I mean, they hopped too because they were very aware of the whole situation. I mean, they got the kids involved and they were, you know, wrapping and bathing and getting bottles and they were doing everything because they knew that these lambs are so vulnerable, so vulnerable. They're, and not too long after the three were born, one of them died. So now they increased their efforts for the remaining two, 